Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and people and all the world. (laughs) (laughs) And all the world, we're glad you're here. So happy to have you join us uh, for the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. That's it. That's it. We're Dragon Talk. Talking to dragons. Talking to dragons and And Shelly Mazenoble. And I was going to say, and Greg Tito. (laughs) Great minds. Great minds. We've got a fantastic dragon on this episode to speak to. (laughs) Also, we're talking to Jason Charles Miller, musician, voice actor, uh, role player extraordinaire. He does a lot of things. He does a lot of things. And he's great at all of them. Is that fair? Is that really fair? It's not fair. He's like a quadruple threat, maybe a quintuple threat. Like he can ice skate, he can sing rock music, he can uh, dance the night away. I bet. I bet he can. That's that's quintuple. That's five things, right? Who's counting? I don't know. We are not. No. Uh, But can't wait to uh, show you that episode of our interview with him because it's so great. Also, there is a lot of fun things happening in the Dungeons & Dragons universe that we want to let you know about, including Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. There is ice forming on my lips as we speak. That's the sound of a blizzard. I heard. Wait, do it again. Was that a Yeti? Yep. Or perhaps an owl bear. A snowy owl bear. A little bit of a frost maiden, perhaps. You never know. It is a fantastic adventure set in the frozen north where you will cool down and have a nice uh, cocktail, perhaps, uh, on the veranda of Bryn Shander. Mm, Seems a little chilly to be sitting out on the veranda. I know, but there's also, I didn't even realize until I said it out loud, but the veranda brinchander kind of rhymes a little bit. That does sound nice. I'm putting it in my, uh, back of my mind for a poem or perhaps a lyric. A lyric. <laughs> That's how you say rock lyrics. You say lyric. Lyric. <laughs> yeah. So exciting. Hope everyone is jumping into it uh, since it was released last month. Uh, but we also want to clue you into some fun things coming on the horizon, including Curse of Strahd revamped. My goodness. You will be returning to the vampire daddy. land of Barovia. You will be. I you will, will be. be bringing a coffin-shaped box with you. Tons filled. of goodies. Hey, did you see that... Um, you and I are responsible for at least one sale. Yeah. Our we good converted. friend Chris Johnson. He was like, fine. They, we have convinced him. You will not be disappointed, Chris. You will love that. It's worthwhile for sure. Uh, I did that for a couple of things this week on the Twitter where someone said uh, my mini review or post about Baldur's Gate 3, which released uh, in early access last week. Uh, or this week, I should say. Um, and it is a fantastic video game made by the folks at Larian who made Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2. And it is in the wild for the first time. And I mentioned that during one location, uh, I, I heard some screaming or some yelling happening in the background as I was playing. 
Uh, and I swear it was my kids. And they had oh woken up and they were out of bed and I got I literally stormed upstairs. I was like, what's going on? And Aaron's my wife is like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I think the kids are awake. And I like, you know, went to them and they were like, not awake oh, at all. God. And I went back downstairs to where I was playing the game. And then I realized that it was just random screaming and voices uh, in the nine hells. And so oh, the <laughs> sound design was fantastic. Okay. That is not. Aaron must have thought you were hallucinating or she something. Did. Like, she was like, "What? What's going on?" And she started to panic too because she's like, "You're never like this." I'm like, "But no, I think awake. they were awake." And she's like, "Okay." It was hilarious. Go back to your little video game. And I did. And I went back. Oh my god! I was able to leave the nine hells uh, pretty quickly, so that's good. Good. Um, but it's a great, a great video game that brings to life uh, the Clearly. forgotten realms in a way that I've never seen before. You know, it's a. Uh, expansion upon the great computer RPGs of uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Uh, Icewind Dale was in there as well. Uh, Planescape, Torment. Um, and it just takes all of those wonderful uh, hallmarks of our youth in playing you know, D&D in video games and just turns it up to what we expect now from a modern game. And it's fantastic. So... Again, it's available for early access. It's not necessarily the finished. Uh, it's not the finished product. There's going to be lots of iterations and improvements upon it, but it is a substantial release with you know 25 to 30 hours worth of gameplay within it, uh, and you get a real big taste about how it works. And my favorite part about, other than all the the videos and the visuals and the sound design, is that it really does recreate uh, Fifth Edition D and D really well. You make, you make uh, uh, ability checks using rolling a d20. All of the spells are oh, named cool. like the spells in uh, fifth edition um, spell slots. You know, you have to take a short rest in order to regain spells and long rest to, to to fully heal up. All of the stuff that are hallmarks of actual Dungeons and Dragons tabletop play are there recreated um, with some tweaks to make it a little bit easier to play in a, in a uh, on a computer. So definitely recommend checking it out. Join the community. Sounds good. Give them some feedback on how and, they can make it even better. And listen to Greg's daughters, who are clearly voice actors. We I know, know that's that. what uh, a former guest of ours, Giancarlo uh, Volpe, said. Like, are your are your kids moonlighting as, <laughs> as voice actors? Maybe they are. <laughs> got to earn your keep, kids. Come on. Show, show. Uh, and then we got one really uh, big book coming on the horizon in November. A big old book of new subclasses. Subclasses, uh, magic items, DM tools and tips, including group patrons, uh, how to use puzzles uh, at your table. Sidekicks, Uh, officially. I know. Yeah. I'm going to be heavily using sidekicks. I think I'm, uh, me too. I think I might just create them and just like, just for funsies. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's a great transition because I believe I spoke to Jeremy Crawford uh, for a Sage Advice segment about said sidekicks. Yay! Yay! Uh, so before we get to our interview with Jason Charles Miller, uh, let's give a little listen to me and Jeremy Crawford talking about kick sides. Wait, no. Sidekicks. Mm, yeah, that sounds better. That sounds better. Welcome to another segment of Sage Advice. I am Greg Tito, and I'm sitting down with Jeremy Crawford. Hi, Jeremy. Hey there. 
On this segment, we delve into little tidbits around Dungeons and Dragons mechanics, not lore, uh, and find out what the design intent was for them and try to answer your questions in using them at the table. Uh, and for this special segment, we are going to talk to Jeremy about sidekicks, which were first introduced uh, in the Essentials Kit uh, for 5th Edition and are expanded upon in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything coming out in November. Uh, and I'm excited about this because this feature I've used extensively in playing Dungeons & Dragons with my kids uh, since there's only two of them and it's not necessarily optimized uh, for um, a full party. And so this is a great way to, to introduce them. So what is in, uh, or, you know, what, what are sidekicks for those of us who have not uh, delved into the Essentials Kit? Sidekicks are a way for a group to do exactly what you're doing with your girls, which is pair some NPCs with your player characters to basically fill out your group. That said, you could even add some sidekicks to a group that has a full complement of player characters. It's an open-ended system that at its heart is about non-player characters joining your group. And again, you can use it to fill out a group that might be low on PCs, to bulk up a group, to be you know, a massive group of characters to take on some mighty threat. There's also the option that if a person at your table maybe is a beginning D&D player, and is daunted by all of the options in the player's handbook classes, well, that person also has the option of playing a sidekick. Uh, in, in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, we give you all the rules you need to build sidekicks of your own. And this includes humanoid sidekicks, but also non-humanoid sidekicks. You know, one of in the art, one of the example sidekicks in the book is, is an a wolf who looks like he has a lot of personality. And we also show various other creatures who might join you uh, as a sidekick on your adventures. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, it will immediately be chosen by my oldest daughter, I'm pretty sure, as her sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf is a favorite, uh, or any kind of animal is her favorite uh, kind of way to interact with the D&D uh, in general, just having animals. It's great. Um, so I, yes, and I've used them uh, in the essentials kit. They came with um, portraits uh, that were very evocative. Uh, I believe they were done by Sean Wood um, that brought to life these uh, these characters in a way, but uh, the mechanics behind them are, are a simplified version of a, of a character, right? Exactly. So, in the core books, you already, as a dungeon master, had the ability to take any monster in the monster manual or in one of our other books and start adding character levels to it by simply taking levels in the classes that are in the player's handbook. The issue with that for many groups is that can tend to add a lot of complexity. If you have everything that was in the, the creature's original stat block, and then you start layering on, well, 10 levels in fighter or, or, or what have you. So we wanted to create a simpler way to level up a sidekick or really an NPC of any kind because something else we mention in Tasha's Cauldron is that even though these rules are called the sidekick rules, a DM could use these rules actually to level up an NPC of any sort oh. because, because what you do is... You, you take a creature 
Then you select one of the three sidekick classes, warrior, expert, or spellcaster, and then you give that NPC levels in that class. And then we explain to you how to modify that creature based on how many levels it has in each of those classes. In the essentials kit, what we did is we took this concept, but we married those levels to sort of an assumed starting stat block. And so in a way you were getting an implementation of the sidekick rules rather than the rules themselves. In Tasha's Cauldron, you're given the tools to create sidekicks of your own of any type. You're not bound to a particular starting stat block. The, oh. the, the baseline rule is take a creature with, whose CR is one half or lower and then start loading levels in a sidekick class onto them. And, and so we mean it. You could take a wolf, a, a panther, a commoner, uh, you know, just go through go through uh, the monster manual and our other books that have stat blocks in them with your eyes out for creatures that have a CR of one half or lower. And you'll actually see there are tons of options for different uh, people and critters who could join you on your adventures and get more powerful along with you. Because th- this system is also meant to answer the question, well, what happens when like we befriend this wolf and because many groups, they love befriending animals, you know, or, or there was this stag and oh, the druid, you know, cast speak with animals and had a cool conversation with them and come on stag, come with us. <laughs> well, but then the it's question is what happens? <laughs> it's a stag party. <laughs> but then what happens uh, when your group gets to higher levels and you go up against some powerful monster who in one hit can fell your new companion or maybe a companion who's been with you for a while. The sidekick rules give you a way to have those companions level up with you. Uh, but to also do so without all of the complexity of the typical player character classes in the player's handbook. When we originally previewed the sidekick rules in Unearthed Arcana, people really loved them, but the feedback we got back very clearly was they could be even simpler, Mm. that people wanted these classes to go even further than we went in our design in terms of them being much simpler than the classes that player characters typically take. And so when people see the final version of the sidekicks, they'll see that they get, the sidekicks get far fewer features than a player character gets. Uh, like we consider for a sidekick, it's a, it's a class feature of note when their proficiency bonus goes up. And like, so for them, that's what they got that level. Uh, but that means a bunch of numbers just went up uh, in their stat block. Uh, so that's how simple they are, but, but also effective. Uh, each, each one of the sidekick classes has some special shtick that will bring value to a group. Uh, and you know you could you could if you have more than one sidekick in a group you could have multiple members of the same sidekick class or you could try to mix it up. I recommend mixing it up simply because again the sidekicks each have something special about them. Uh, I think many groups in particular will see the value in having an expert along because the 
the expert's ability to help people, which is essentially giving people advantage on various roles, uh, will be very valuable. Uh, similarly, if let's say no one in your group wants to play a healer of any kind, well, bring along a spellcaster, have them learn a few healing spells, and then your sidekick can serve as the group's healer. In many ways, it feels like these characters are um, taking on the role of uh, henchmen did in first mm-hmm. edition Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where that idea that like everybody at the table might have controlled one or two or three other characters and they, you know, maybe they were backups in case your, your main character died. Um, but they also just, they had a really important role, which was these support roles. Um, and sidekicks can really do that a lot easier in fifth edition without having to stat up an entirely brand new character from scratch. Absolutely. And, and you, you are a hundred percent right. These are, these were created in that sort of same spirit of the old henchman rules. Uh, but we wanted again to make them a bit broader. Uh, and you know, that's why we've made them so that they work, uh, even with creatures who you normally wouldn't think of as a henchman, you know, you, people aren't typically going to think of, uh, you know, a panther yeah. as their henchman. Uh, you know, it's this can be a companion creature of any type. Again, as long as they they meet uh, the CR requirement, uh, because now that said, a DM can take the sidekick class classes and give them to monsters of any challenge rating. You know, DM could take a a CR 15 monster and give them levels in a sidekick class. That creature just wouldn't be meant to be a sidekick in the adventuring group. That that CR limit is specifically for creatures that are joining your group. And we do that so that the sidekick will essentially be of an appropriate power level for your group as it levels up. Uh, because what we don't want is we don't want the sidekick to be so weak that you know a strong wind will knock them over and kill them. Uh, but we also don't want them to be so powerful that then the player characters feel like they're the sidekicks and the sidekick character is actually the great hero of the story. That's what I like about this system is that it tries to make sure that it is that the, the, the player characters are the stars. And that these are just an easy way for Dungeon Master to, um, you know, have a larger cast of characters available um, without having, again, to have that completely statted up new character or something like, oh, I don't know what they can hit at. Uh, I'll just make something up. No, you'll have some good guidelines in front of you uh, so that uh, any character that they meet, whether it's a commoner or a banded captain or you know, all those bolded texts that are uh, throughout our products, um, you know, they can just very easily transition into, oh, okay, yeah, you're coming with us and you're, you know, going to have a, a, a significant, you know, uh, role to fill in this party. And, and that ease of having somebody just join you is partly why we made the classes so simple. We want it to be as simple as you met, you met Sheila the blacksmith and your group became, you know, dear friends with her you can tell she can handle herself in a fight. Come along with us, and all the DM has to do is take the commoner stat block, look at you know whatever line is appropriate for the sidekick's level, adjust a couple numbers, bam, you're good to go. 
Uh, you know, we want it to be that easy where you could even add a sidekick in the middle of a session yeah. uh, by using these these super simple rules. I mean, I can imagine the uh, the really strong persuasion role uh, that ends up turning a villain into your friend. And then, all, all, <laughs> right. I, all right, well, I don't want you to have a, you know, a level three wizard, but here you've got a spellcaster that you can now uh, have part of your, 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 your party. Yeah, yeah. I love absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, uh, and the sidekicks also, in a few cases, have some uh, minor customization options. With the spellcaster, you're picking spells. And we do provide uh, three different starting packages of spells uh, in the spirit of making it easy mm. for sidekicks to be sort of a pick-up-and-play element. We have several uh, starting packages uh, but again, you can customize completely what spells they have available to them. Uh, with the warrior, you decide if the warrior sidekick is more uh, defensive or offensive, and that, that gives them uh, a different uh, buff depending on which of those two you select. And then the, with the expert, you're deciding, well, what are they an expert in? Uh, because they... They get uh, expertise like rogues and bards do in addition to this ability to uh, help people very effectively. I like that. Um, so that they can feel very different mechanically even though it's not the full-on class system of you know having everything mapped out for them from level to level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we also have specified in the book that... Uh, sidekicks for ease of play, but also to make sure, again, that they're of an appropriate power level, that when they join you, their level should just match yours. So if you're first level and sidekicks join you, it's best if they're also first level. But if you're fifth level, and let's say you have a town guard join you, and they're a warrior, well, just bring them in as a fifth level warrior, and then, and then have them level up with you. Are there any thoughts to transforming these sidekicks into, you know, full-blown characters uh, or vice versa? So you you can take any of these sidekick classes and pair them with one of the race options. For instance, in the player's handbook, like you could pick elf or human or dwarf. Take that, take one of these sidekick classes and make your character like you normally would. So they they each work as a character class for a player. Uh, much simpler, maybe not going to be quite as powerful uh, as uh, a full fledged player character class. But for some people, if you know that's the experience you want, you want to play uh, a character who is you know, easier to play, might might fill a supporting role. I think the sidekick classes are a splendid choice. And you said new players might find that uh, refreshing, right? To having a less choice early on. Oh yeah. If, if I were DMing for, let's say a group of people who'd never played before and I wanted to just give them sort of a, a, a little taste of D and D I might run like an hour long session and have them play sidekick characters uh, because there, there's less to learn uh, because you know each of these classes typically has only one thing you have to learn uh, at each level. 
And and sometimes that thing is as simple as, again, your proficiency bonus went up. Uh, and I think it's, it's very beginner friendly. Uh, and you could also use them if you wanted to do a sort of level zero kind of experience of, you know, playing playing a group of characters who are maybe trying to figure out what their ultimate character class will be. You know, like I started out as a spellcaster, but then I ended up as a ranger or, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was an expert, uh, but decided I wanted to become a fighter, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and you could, you could really adapt that system so that, you know, uh, like, like a spellcaster become meets a interplanar being, maybe that interplanar being, it turns into a group patron, which the entire group goes into, but maybe it's just uh, a warlock's patron. And then all of a sudden the player, the character that you're playing is a warlock and you follow down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you could, if you do that, you could change your class or you could use the multi-class rules, keep your levels in your sidekick class, and then just add in your levels in, in the new player character class. So you could have a character who like has two levels in spellcaster and then all the rest of their levels in warlock, uh, and and the the sidekick wor- rules uh, work seamlessly with the multi-classing rules in the player's handbook. Oh wow! So it really is a super versatile system in that way. Like you don't have to worry about recreating characters or anything. You can just graft on. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why I say you could use this as your sort of level zero sort of experience of have everyone's first level actually be in a sidekick class. And then they, you know, maybe then graduate into a, a class from the player's handbook or, or into the uh, artificer, uh, which class that appears in Tasha's cauldron, as well as in Eberron. Nice. Uh, I am excited now to play an awakened wolf who becomes a, a spellcaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, uh, th- there's the key because uh, we're also generous on on what types of creatures can be a spellcaster, but but one of the key requirements is whatever the creature is, they must be able to speak a language. Uh, so an, an awakened wolf would qualify. Excellent. All right, now I got something to shoot for. I'll have my wolf as a uh, as a fighter or a warrior for a few levels, and then uh, I'll have to meet a a kind druid along the way. Yeah. And then please, please give me speech so I can learn the spells. I don't want to have to depend on a speak with animal spell all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's exciting. Uh, how do you think this will be used in play? I mean, we've, we've got, it seems like it's a very, uh, you know, drop in, drop out system. People don't, don't need to interact with it at all or they could interact with it with tons. But what are your predictions for how, um, you know, kind of the D and D community will will use the sidekick feature. I think uh, its main purpose is going to be uh, groups use sidekicks to fill out maybe a party that has fewer than four characters. Uh, so this is again, and this was one of our original design goals for it: is make it easy to play with a group that is as small as one player and one DM, uh, because that one player could then have uh, not only their character, but also some sidekicks. I also can see groups starting to use it uh, to have sidekicks fill in when there are players missing, you know, because some, sometimes you'll have some players who can't make it to a session 
and but maybe your group isn't comfortable with playing their characters for them uh, and but you also don't want to have the total sort of power loss of just saying okay their characters don't participate but now we're down you know you know one or more characters you could easily use sidekick characters to pop in to temporarily help out uh, and you can imagine in the story that 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 would be you know you you going to maybe an organization, possibly your group patron, uh, or you know a, some other group of people or creatures you know, and saying, "Hey, we could use some temporary help," and the sidekick rules are perfect for that. I could, uh, yeah, that's that's a really great call. I could see that being used pretty much, you know, every session nowadays with uh, how scheduling occurs and, uh, you know, even with having most of our games happening online uh, through video conferencing, there still is always uh, unexpected things that happen and being able to pull out uh, a sidekick to join the party will keep your campaign moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and. And then again, I think, as I mentioned, one of the other big use uses for this will be for totally brand new groups uh, where they just play sidekicks. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a really interesting you know, idea. And I, I think I'm going to play with it and maybe see how, how that manifests, right? Like, do, do they, are people going to want more? And then, they are, well, do we have the, the game for you? It's got all these options. It's a nice way to give that taste. Well, it it also, uh, and and this is sort of a uh, a side benefit, but it's a powerful benefit of the sidekick system, is if you decide that you want your character to actually use one of these sidekick classes, we have through this system given you the ability to play many different types of creatures who aren't normally playable options in D anD D. Because we've we've just now given you a simple way to like level up a wolf, you know, to go to the example we've been using, mm-hmm. uh, which we we thus far have not done, uh, and we've now made it very simple for you that if like, well, I'm not really interested in playing any of the types of people in the player's handbook or in one of our other books, but oh, I noticed there, you know, some critters in the monster manual, and I really wish my character could be that. Well, using the sidekick rules it's pretty easy to make that a reality. Man, we're going to have a lot of, of uh, zombie characters out there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Trying to think of what yep. else is, uh, is one half level of challenge rating. Uh, many of the, I guess, are there dinosaurs that fit there? Would there can we play some more dinosaur characters? I, I believe so. Yeah, I think, I think there are some. Yeah, if you, if you go, I, I think a lot of people are going to go into D and D Beyond or you know into their hard their into their hardbound books when when this comes out and they're going to look okay which which creatures qualify and suddenly they're it's going to they're going to realize oh my gosh these are all now it's playable. everything yeah yeah uh, um, and for that character who has uh, the love of uh, that my World of Warcraft character does of collecting mini pets or or other types <laughs> things like you know we could have a whole menagerie of sidekicks uh, now with us. Uh, on our adventures, yes, yeah. You with with this system, you could create the character who has like all the battle pets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even need to do any of the work. They just send in their battle pets to uh, yeah. to defeat all of the monsters. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. 
Well, I think it is going to be a wonderful addition, and I like that it is being pulled out of Essentials Kit because it was one of the one of my favorite parts of playing that uh, with my with my children uh, to flesh out their party. I'm using it for the exact way that it was intended, and I think now putting it in Tasha's and expanding the system is going to allow a lot more people to uh, you know see the wonders of this of the simplicity of of adding sidekicks to your game. Yeah, no, I I, I can't wait to see the many different types of sidekicks people are going to create. And I bet we're, we're also going to see some great uh, fan art of you know, characters with their, with their various buddies. <laughs> if not, the only thing they'd be upset with is probably being called sidekicks. Maybe we'll have to come up with a, uh, something that feels a little <laughs> yes. bit more. Yeah, don't, that's just the rules term. Don't, yeah. don't tell them that's what they're called. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We'll have a thousand Robins out there being like, no, I want to be the hero one day. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if uh, people want to get in touch with you and ask you questions or at least in just, you know, uh, talk about fun D&D topics with you uh, online, what's the best way folks could do that? On Twitter, where my handle is Jeremy E. Crawford. Excellent. I can't wait. There's going to be sidekicks aplenty in the world of D&D going forward. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Greg. After listening to hear uh, Jeremy talk about all of that amazing stuff, don't you just want to grab and pre-order Tasha's Cauldron of Everything right now? I do. In fact, I've already done it. You've already pre-ordered. It's and coming I did out. it a second time because I was yeah, so excited. I've, I've got three. Uh, coming of the alternate covers from my local game store because there yes. are two covers oh, uh, releasing on November seventeenth. They are gorgeous. I love the standard cover with uh, the representation of Tasha in her witch's hat uh, with a with a cauldron. Very very cool. Timely for it being in the fall. Yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, the alternate cover looks very cool with greens and whites and golds uh, within it. Um, a little bit of a departure from the Hydro 74 covers we've had for alternate ones. And uh, this one has that mystical kind of druidic witchy feel to it, which I uh, appreciate. Yep. Very beautiful. I love November both. 17th, both covers will be available. Uh, the alt covers only from your local game store. Make sure and order through them. We've said this a couple of times, but we'll bear us repeating that even though uh, they may be looking like they're in business right now, uh, you know, it's always a, a tough thing for a retail store to make ends meet during uh, quarantines uh, and to, you know, have be able to bounce back by not having enough foot traffic of people coming in and just browsing and picking up what they need to pick up. So you can help out by ordering um, and purchasing as much stuff through your local game store as you can. Yes. Right, Shelly? Is that what you're going to do? Absolutely. We're going to Meeples. We're going to Meeples. Right They do um, curbside as well. And many of your local game stores do, so you don't even have to go into the store. You can just roll up in front of the store and they'll bring it out to you. Good stuff. Um, and speaking about rolling up to stores, uh, in our interview with Jason Charles Miller, we got to talk oh. about him doing just that uh, a little bit deeper into the interview. So, you know, listen uh, for a little bit, but it is uh. super worthwhile and uh, I hope he'll be able to do more stuff like that in the future. I got to say, your segues are on point today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's two very good segues. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm grasping at the uh, our subjects and being like, oh, wait, I know. Yeah. We can throw it to this. It'll it's, be perfect. It's so good. I mean, what? people will be surprised to know this, but this show is not scripted. Like, that is... <laughs> That was all Greg on the fly. <laughs> As if you couldn't tell from me being like, uh. uh no. Nope. But anyway, let's listen to Jason and uh, hear his dulcet tones. Yeah. Everyone, let's welcome Jason Charles Miller to Dragon Talk. What? Yay! Finally! That's what this is. Okay. <laughs> I thought that we were I thought we were getting a Zoom call together to just play D&D, but I can talk about we it. We can We can do that too. We stealthed okay. into this uh this D&D uh, session. We teleported you right here. Tricked me. All right. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> nice. So you are a uh musician, uh, a voiceover actor in addition to being a, you know, Dungeons and Dragons aficionado for for a long time, right? Yes. Enthusiast uh, dungeon master stuff like that. <laughs> nice, uh, yeah. And we, I think I started working with you with uh, Satine Phoenix and that whole crew uh, for Sirens of the Realms and right. all that, right? And so I you've been in many D and D lives. Yes, I kept being a frequent guest star on Sirens so much so that if, like, by season three, I just became a cast member. Uh, I started out as the Sirens roadie. <laughs> And then just sort of ended up being in the band, the, the one uh-huh. guy in the all-girl band. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good story right there. Like a, yeah. a good campaign. <laughs> yeah. You performed uh, the music interludes uh, during 2018's uh, "Stream of Many Eyes." That I loved everything you put together for that. You almost like arranged all that too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Um, that was that was really fun. That was a lot of songs from. Um, it was a lot of songs from our show because we would try to write a lot of songs for the bard. So the concept of Sirens of the Realms is an all-girl bard band traveling around Faerun. And so, um, you know, we would write different songs based on what happened, um, you know, or, or what we needed to uh, for the adventure. So then we found ourselves with a few, you know, quite a few songs to be able to perform. And it worked out really awesome. Yeah, I I have played D and D with you, and I hope you don't remember. You hope you don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> was I it that bad really, of an experience? <laughs> mm, well, for me, um, it was at Gary Con. And oh yeah, I think, no, that was no, fun. that was a no, fun game. But I think that was about? also the game when, uh, so it was like a bunch of really talented musicians and me. <laughs> And I'm not a musician, and I, I mean, I, I'm, and I have come to just, just accept this about myself. I can't sing. Uh, I have no musical ability. And it's, I think it was also the game that I may have had my face painted like a cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I was playing it to <laughs> playing a tabaxi. Hey, if you're playing and a tabaxi, you've got to, um, I thought, you've got to put on the like. I so like five minutes before the game, I was I saw the face painter and I was like, Oh, like can you make me look like like a cool kitty, like a cool cat? Like I just thought like maybe some add some cat eye or something to me. And oh no. When I, I was done, I had like the full like five year old girl at the zoo cat face. <laughs> and there was no time to change. And I'm like, okay, so I'll just play this kitty face tabaxi 
around all of these musicians, and you guys kept like dropping into song in the middle of the game that you were just like, oh, hang on, like I'm just gonna like start singing, and it was amazing. And I was sitting across the table from you, and I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like I don't even know why. Why am I here? Why is my face painted? And <laughs> I don't know. You look, you look like you're having a really good time. So. I was having a great. It's hard not to have a great time when an incredibly talented musician just bursts into song in your D and D game, like right in front of you. But I did. I couldn't help but like feel a little bit like I have nothing to offer. You amazing You were hiding it really well. Hiding but, behind my cat makeup. It's funny because um, like one of the games that I frequently work on um, as a voiceover artist is Neverwinter. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be the voice of Driss. But, uh, you know, there's always new expansions coming out. And in one of the expansions, I actually played a tabaxi minstrel. Um, And there were these... Uh, lines in the script that just says like hums a little tune or sings a little thing and I and I went to the uh, producers and I was like you guys want me to just like like I'll, I'll I'll come up with something tonight and I'll just send it to you tomorrow do you want me to like write little you know little five second or ten second little songs that he might sing um, and they were like sure so I did that and and so my singing is actually in the game too which is fun as really? a tabaxi yeah as a tabaxi. Okay. So you can like put out an album like music for tabaxis. I could. That would maybe like yeah. inspire yeah. the rest of us cat people. What, I mean, I, I kind of want to ask, I want to ask about how you got into D&D, but also like you're, you're very prolific. I mean, like, I think that the songs that you were singing during that game at GaryCon, you had also just like wrote, like, I remember Chris Lindsay telling me like, yeah, like he just like wrote the song and I'm going to, because Chris was singing along with you for parts of it. We wrote a song the night before, uh, just like in our hotel room. uh, As it happened. It was a D and D themed song called Hey Dungeon Lady. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Which was a beautiful song. 2019, uh, Greg, we performed that um, at. um, The Descent. The Descent. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So, but the anyway. night you were there, that was its premiere night. That was its premiere night. I got to hear it. I got to hear it first. <laughs> Adds to everyone who was paying attention to, on the, on I the mean, live stream. I was, I was there. You were in the room with the with I the was. lighter up in the air, <laughs> yes. or the uh, the wand of of uh, you know produce flame up in the air. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was very cool. So yeah, how did uh, how did you get started playing Dungeons and Dragons? What was your 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 origin story for for getting into play like this? Two, two, two places. So I grew up in um, Clifton, Virginia, which is close enough to D.C. to where my dad worked in D.C., but far enough away from D.C. where I had friends that never even set foot in there. So it was like a 40-minute drive to D.C., but it was definitely rural Virginia. So no sidewalks, kind of in the middle of the woods. The only, um, the, luckily though, like two houses away, there was a friend who played D&D. And then uh, my cousins who lived in Connecticut at the time over like a holiday break, they also played D&D. And this was about, I was about age eight or nine at this point. Um, And my friend, John Franklin and I would always play D&D on the bus, uh, just sort of like one-on-one adventures. 
but the very first time I played was actually with my cousin Wesley and we I had this great time creating my character and then he had a great uh, creating and equipping my character and then he had a great time five minutes into the game immediately like stripping everything all of my equipment everything just like teaching me the hard knocks of the game and how quickly things can go bad um and so i was like immediately robbed and bullied by brigands and within five minutes of playing my very first game my character was naked in the middle of the street and you were like yes this game no i was like this game sucks (laughs) (laughs) but i could see the potential it taught me what not to do early on okay so so there was a lesson uh, tough love but there was a lesson don't show your sword to a random npc he'll take it don't tell another random npc how many gold pieces you have he'll take that too Wait, is that what you did in the first five minutes? You're like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and and I have this cool sword. He basically (laughs) put me up against a bunch of bullies. So I'm in the middle of this town, and the very first NPC I meet is like, hey, come here. Let me see that sword. I'm like, oh, here you go. And then like he runs off with it. And then the next one was like, hey, come here. How many gold pieces do you have? Give it to me. Let me count them out for (laughs) you. you. Okay. That was how that was how cousin Wesley uh, kicked my ass. Uh, Cousin Wesley. I'm I'm gonna guess that was like you know in the '80s era of D and D play. It was. um, I can't remember what rule book he had, but the first the first package that I bought was the 1980 basic D and D red box. Moldvay, I think, was the main designer as mm-hmm. I go back and look at it. And, uh, you know, very simple. Like, you could only... Alignments were lawful, neutral, or chaotic. Uh, things like that. Yeah. Uh, your race and your class were the same thing. So, like, yep. if you're an elf, you're just an elf. If you're a halfling, you're just a halfling. Um, and then, like, human, like, if you're a fighter or a cleric or a magic user you were human it was it was it was interesting i mean it definitely was a good way to learn the game though because it sort of limited your choices yeah and therefore i think for me uh was a i was able to sort of learn what each class did quicker and then have that sort of as the as a good basis rather than i when people play now and there, uh, I, I remember I had a friend recently that was like, oh, I just made my first character. I'm like, oh, cool. What is it? He's like, uh, he's a he's a tiefling warlock. And I'm like, wow, like that is crazy that that's your first character ever. Like that was just inconceivable to me uh, back in the day. So, uh, you know, I, I like I when I when I invite new people to play the game and I bring them into the game for the first time. I like to keep it simple, like how basic did it so that um, there's not, there's not as much for the player to be confused about. Mm. Yes. I, I agree. It's something that I, I think a lot about is how overwhelming it can be for new players. Even if there are, if there is people there to help them, uh, right. you kind of have, have to keep reinforcing that don't worry about the rules you don't have to know the rules you don't have to know anything i'll tell you what to do the whole time but yeah mm-hmm. like it's there is a lot of choice that goes into even just creating a very basic character so right. i think we can learn a lot from the D of the past and cousin do- wesley yeah thanks cousin um 
I and I've been playing a, a kind of a homebrew campaign that has a little bit more of a smaller scope in races, right? I, I just want to kind of start with the, like the dwarf and gnome and 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 human and elf and kind of like get yeah. those like as a really good baseline, and then maybe we can introduce more ones later on. Um, but it is odd that you're, I mean you're totally right that there are just people who be like, oh, I'm doing a grung ranger. Uh, as my first character, and you're like, whoa! Like, I mean, that's that, that feels like next level. Um, but at the same time, I really like that people can just be like, what What is your fantasy, or like, what is the story that is the most exciting to you? Uh, and having those restrictions off, uh, I think, can do wonders for you know the idea of gatekeeping, right? Like, you can just you can kind of create whatever you want, and it's okay. You don't necessarily have to play one specific way. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not against it. I just, when I want to teach people the game, I like to teach them the way I taught it, you know, yeah. or the way I learned it, rather, the way I learned it in a way. So I like to limit their choices at first and then let them see the huge expansion that uh, that can happen. For sure. Um, yeah, and you uh, also became a professional musician, uh, doing a, you know many many different bands and, and uh, things over the over the you know. And we'll get to your your tour on tour with Dragons uh, yeah. in a second. But talk a little bit about what it's like to be a a budding musician and, and how that kind of uh, you know did that grow at the same time as your fandom in with D and D or 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 what? I think so. I mean, the um, so my band for many years was called Godhead. And actually I took the name from the back of a, an issue of fantasy gamer magazine that always had, it was sort of like a a competitor to dragon magazine. And it always had an adventure in the back of it. And there was this adventure that came in this, the only issue I ever bought of fantasy gamer magazine (laughs) was your quest, it was like a high level, super high level adventure. And your quest was to become a uh, Solomar, God of the sun, like whoever grabbed the Godhead uh, at the end of the adventure, then that character became the new God of the sun or something. And there was even a false Godhead hidden in front of the, the real Godhead. And I was like, Godhead, that's an awesome name for a band. So I was like, I always sort of put that away in my, in my Rolodex. And then um, when it was time, I pulled that out and um, you know, the band members loved it. So uh, my, the very name of the band that, you know, started my career and gave me a career, that name was from a D and D module. I love that. Was the, anyone else in the band a D and D player at the time? No, um, you know, it was, no, they weren't. And, and good luck getting them into it back then. You know what I mean? It's the, the things have changed so much, even in the last five to 10 years uh, about D and D, you know, you used to speak about it in hushed tones uh, <laughs> in darkened rooms. Uh, and, and now it's totally different, which I love because then there's so many more people that you didn't know played D and D that, are admitting, yeah, I I always played it, and it's great to uh, to see that. And you've been seeing yeah. that kind of, you know, in the Los Angeles universe. I think it's it's expanded even more. People in the entertainment business uh, who have embraced the dorkiness of Dungeons and Dragons uh, even more so. Big time, big time. I mean, there's you know, there's now m- more than ever like more popular culture D and D is being infused into that, whether it's a, uh, 
like in a story arc on a few television shows or full television shows that are being made now. Um, and uh, it's funny because I knew Matt Mercer from the voice acting world. And then we knew each other again from doing Satine's D and D charity events. Mm-hmm. And then when he was, uh, he told me about critical role early on and I had already worked with Felicia day on music for the guild, her show. So when, uh, when he was launching uh, critical role, I said, Hey, do you need a theme song? And he was like, sure. So the, so the, the theme song that I did for them was just kind of on a whim. And then, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of episodes later and many different iterations of the theme song, um, you know, that became kind of an iconic thing for me. And that all happened because I was at a party at an, uh, at a, um, a journalist's house, uh, uh, a rock journalist named Neil Strauss and a guy that worked for him uh, was introduced to me by Neil and Neil said, Hey, you two should talk. Uh, George plays Dungeons and Dragons too. And so our friendship happened that way. He Aww. introduced me to Satine and then like the rest is history. So kind of crazy. Parties. It is. So like, the, let's go back to the theme song. Theme songs can, you know, they're obviously very iconic when it comes to the shows that, that they're representing, but how do you write a theme song for like how far along was Critical Role when you was it, had it started or no it was just a concept. So um, what did you know about like the, the show in order to like capture the essence of what the theme song should be? I didn't know much. I just knew it was them sitting around a table playing D&D and so I um had had this melody in my head for a while that just I'm a huge fan of, you know, uh of like historical fiction and like, and fan and fantasy. So, uh, you know, Howard Shore is a huge inspiration for Mm -hmm. me. Um, the composer that did the Lord of the Rings, um, uh, score. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to jump into this and, and see what comes out. And, And that's what did. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. So you mentioned voice acting too. Like how did how did that portion of your career, since your career is multifaceted, how did that uh, start? Well, I was always a huge fan. I was also a huge fan of anime growing up. And mm. so I always thought it would be great to voice something in an anime one day. Um, fast forward to 2002, where in between tours... Um, Godhead would sometimes, we would sometimes write music for commercials and we were writing the music for a Pop-Tarts commercial and it needed just a voice on top to just, uh, to just sing a couple of uh, lines. But that got me into the Screen Actors Guild because it was a national commercial. So then I, I was like, you know what, I should really, and it was, I should really give voice acting a try now. I have this opportunity. And so I took some classes and um, I actually met Talis and Jaffe in 2003 at the Anime Expo. And From he gave me my now, yeah. first voice acting job uh, in uh, the Helsing anime. And then I just learned the craft, got an agent, uh, and just started auditioning for things all the time. and. You know, now I'm, I've been in like hundreds of things. 
I feel like you're like a master of manifesting things. Like you're just like, I should do this one day. I'm going to tuck that away and wait for it. And then like the thing that comes to you, like I had this melody in my head and now it's It's the theme for Critical Role. (laughs) It's always better when you have that in the bank, so to speak, uh, your storage banks, rather than if you're trying to write something for something, uh, musically anyway. Um, so often my publisher will say, hey, do you have anything that sounds like this? Or do you have anything that that um, would fit in this? And uh, if I do, then often it gets licensed in a television show or a movie or something like that. When you try to write something specifically for a project, unless you have the job, um, that's one thing, because then you have the freedom to relax and, and be able to get it right. But often writing a piece of music and trying to pitch it specifically for a job doesn't always work because it feels creatively forced. Mm. So I'm always writing new things just in case they could be used for something in the future. Oh, that's really interesting. I know, man. So do you have like a a bank of melodies and half formed fragments that you can put together? Yeah, yeah. Folders and folders of songs and songs and songs. Um, Sometimes, I mean, like for my last... My, for my last album as a solo artist, I think I wrote like 45 songs for it. Whoa. And the album has 11 songs. So, you know, there's a lot of other songs that are great that just didn't necessarily fit the the theme of that album. So I may release those later or put it on the next album or something like that. So that, yeah, so yeah, I mean, always, you always hear a B-sides or, you know, things that were cut off of... Uh, the albums for things, but I, but I always wondered, like, is it that way where you just created so many songs that you cut down and got the best ones or, or, or what? Yeah. Like what's, yeah, no, that's often, I think for a lot of, a lot of acts, um, that's what they do. And they might even record, uh, most people will over record, like they'll record, they'll, they'll write 30 to 40 songs for an album uh, and they might record 16 to 20 of them and then whittle that down to 10 or 12. Do you find when you're writing or like, does it, is there like a theme that you're like, oh, I, like this kind of, like there's there's like a connective tissue that keeps popping up in the work that you're working on or is it just kind of like everywhere? Yeah, it depends on my mood, you know, um, and Often I'll let things inspire me when I'm just walking through life or doing things during the day. I might hear something and then, you know, record it. Before the days of smartphones, you would have a little mini recorder in your bag. Now it's Mm. super easy. You just pull up the phone and sing the melody into it. I actually did it last night. I was walking the dog super late and I was like, oh, yeah. So I pulled out my phone, sang the little melody into it so I didn't forget and off I went. And that'll probably become a song at some point. That's I awesome. love I I love hearing about people's creative process and how how inspiration finds them. So that's just that's why I ask a lot of questions about. And then what happens? <laughs> right. So it gets into your smartphone. What's and the name what? of that song? How can we find it? Like track <laughs> right. it from. How, you know. Oh, I know that's another problem too because you can't call everything cool idea, right? <laughs> cool idea one seventy nine. Like, you know. So I try to describe it a little bit, you know, like spooky bluesy riff or whatever. But, you know, that's really funny that, yeah. you know, I have, I don't know how many on, on the phone here that are just, um, I think the, the 
uh, default. It just tells you like what address you are at or what address you were near. You oh, know? Yeah. And then sometimes it'll have, I can't really see it, but yeah. but yeah, there's just, you know, I scroll forever. So that's funny. I wonder if that's how the song Mambo number five was named. I, that's what I was trying to remember. Like, I know there's something similar. Like, right? Like that was just somebody's five. idea. This was the Mambo number five idea. And, and then number five was the best of the bunch. There was, was really you know, like 113 of them, but really just number five was the one that stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you mentioned your last solo album, and then you toured in support of that back when, back, Aww, when, remember back that? when you could tour. Back um, when you could tour, and Ugh. you uh, you pitched this awesome idea, which was in between uh, going to different cities, you would go and try and visit game stores in the right. area and record that. And uh, we ended up putting it on the D and D YouTube channel with uh, with on tour with dragons. Right? Yeah, uh, I remember. You know, we, you and I actually were having a conversation about it, uh, you know, the idea. And I was like, look, I'm going to be in, you know, I'm going on tour and I'm going to be in all these different cities across the country. And even if I'm there, even if I'm playing that evening, you usually arrive in the city in the morning and you have some downtime, right? And I often try to go to local gaming stores if I'm in another city just to see what they're like. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, why not, why not feature as many of these stores as we can to show, you know, like the, the, the hometown game store is kind of like the last piece of individual, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the, the, the name, but so yeah, so the, it's, it's, Maybe we'll cut this. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, ah, like a true yeah, voice the, actor. You're like, oh, we'll cut this and then get yeah, it back. Later. Yeah, yeah, we'll cut. We'll we'll fix it in post, right? <laughs> like stammering. I'm stammering. But uh, it's the yeah, last so the, independent uh, business. Is that what you're yeah, trying to say? Right. Yes. So the hometown game store is like the last piece of independent business for local communities. Yeah. And I thought, how cool would it be to feature as many of these as we could? And I had a blast doing it. And, uh, and I know we were about to release it and then the pandemic hit. So then I went back and sort of cut new intros to be like, Hey, uh, the story you're about to see, obviously you can't visit it right now, but uh, you know, they're doing curbside pickup. They're doing local delivery that are, you know, you can order from, here there because we, we still you know independent businesses are taking a massive hit right now and so i just wanted to add that in there to just make sure that that people were aware of these of these places because also as a traveling musician a lot of the venues that i have played over the years some of them are not going to survive with this yeah. and it's terrible you know but so i at least wanted to do what we could to try to try to make some of these places uh have a fighting chance yeah, it was a great pivot, I think, because you're right. Like there was, there's so much um, small businesses that are that are not getting that foot traffic anymore. And I think a lot of us who used to love to go to those stores was missing the idea of just browsing and being able to go through and look at all of the fun gaming materials that are out there too. And so when we did re-release that in uh, April and May uh, this spring. Um, it, it it did two things. One was it highlighted, as you were saying, which was like how you can go to these stores still and you know get D and D books through them. Um, and the other thing was that it, it gave uh, people watching like a little 
tour of a, of a game store that they weren't able to do anymore, right? So you got that little dopamine yeah. lift from, uh, from the audience as well. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll do more of those uh, in the future when, when this all happens and uh, we can go when to When I'm back on the road, yeah. 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 What were yeah, some, what were some nice fun anecdotes see. that you might be able to tell from, from some of those that, uh, to get people to, interested in watch them? I know mine, but I want to see if you have any first. Oh, um, well, definitely. Well, you know, it's funny because the, the Chicago episode, I think, is my favorite for two reasons. One, because um, at that particular store, Fair Game, they have an amazing uh, kids group that plays D&D. I think there's, there's like, like they had an after school program where kids would come there and, and play D and D. And I thought that how cool that was. And they sort of built the adventure together with the DM and they're still doing that online right now, which is great. Oh, that's cool. And oh, then nice. that was also the same episode where I was basically able to reenact the scene in spinal tap where they could never find the stage because <laughs> uh, in the venue that we played that night, the, basement was so expansive that you really could get lost down there and uh i had played there once before and i said i've got to film down here because this just lends itself to that i mean there's so many twists and turns and you just can't find <laughs> stage i cracked up watching that i think you had turned that in uh it was like episode two or three of what you turned in and i was watching it and i was like oh, I, you played it so straight that I was like, I was like, was this on purpose or not? I couldn't tell. Uh, or, or if it was like after the fact where, where you were like, oh, this is kind of like this. So let's just add it in uh, anyway. Uh, it was really good performance by you and, and your band by just being like, oh, all right, I guess we'll follow this way. Yeah, exactly. And they're not actors at all. So they, it, was, it was a stretch for them, but they did, they did well. <laughs> yeah. And it just keeps going. It's like, it's like a three minute. <laughs> secrets oh of God, you guys hysterical. trying to find the stage you're like oh no wait wait we found it oh wait no this is the boiler room yeah, and we even open the stage door and it's like a dead end you know <laughs> it's a stage <laughs> door <laughs> yeah. and it really is a dead end mm-hmm. oh that's mm-hmm. great it's, it's like so a uh, it, you know it's like a darkened little room like this is not the way to the stage <laughs> it almost feels like a, uh, uh, an evil roadie put that there uh, yep. to, <laughs> to lure <laughs> people in right yeah to catch, uh, to capture them. Uh, oh, there's another store though that I was thinking of too, um, in uh, in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina, that is seven thousand square feet Ooh. of game. Whoa! It, it 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 was incredible. I walked in and I was like, you know, this is as big as a department store, and it is. Um, there's. Uh, hundreds of people playing. Um, it's called Firefly Toys and Games. They have a whole arcade on one side, but they and they have private rooms to play D and D in, and then they just have just hundreds of people playing at scores of tables. I was super super impressed and happy to see that. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and that's what I love too about this series is. That you really get to see like a slice of the community too, like you know, yeah. and like it, everybody can enjoy a game store. And I just you know I love seeing like mothers with their children, you know, playing games, or you know, young people, older people, everybody. It's just and mm-hmm. it's just it was just nice to see like everybody come together in person in one spot and enjoy when, when you can't a game. anymore. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Are people ever surprised to find out that you play Dungeons and Dragons? 
Sometimes. I think some people that I know in the music business that only know me as a musician are a little surprised when it comes up, but then um, they'll always somebody in the bunch that also plays. So then that brings us together even tighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, people know, people know me for different things. So some people only know me as a voice actor that I work with. Some people only know me as a musician. Um, some people online, you know, only know me from like all the stuff that I've done on Geek and Sundry. Um, you know, there's a, a show that we did called Starter Kit where in season one, we taught people how to play D&D. And that first episode has millions of views. And I, and I remember, you know, people, I've been recognized on the street for that. And they have no idea. Like, they just think that that's what, who I am is I'm that DM there in that little world for them, you know, not knowing any of the other things that I do. So it's always fun when worlds connect. I, I love that more than anything, but I try, I don't, broadcast everything that I do to everyone. Cause then I would feel like I'm, you know, trying to sell myself too much or whatever. So I just kind of let people discover um, those things about me. I love it when that happens naturally. Like recently um, I acted in uh, final fantasy 14. And then a couple of years later, was offered to sing the theme song to the next expansion. And that was really neat to, for them to know me as an actor first and then realize that I could also um, sing and be involved in the game in another way. That's cool. That is awesome. You're connected with the Wasteland uh, franchise too, right? Um, yeah, oh, Wasteland Weekend? Uh, no, I was thinking the Wasteland video game the, from, from In Exile. Oh, Maybe. no. Not connected with them. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, Wasteland Weekend was what I, what I was thinking of then. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Wasteland Weekend, people call that like angry, some people uh, jokingly call it angry Burning Man, but it's basically 5,000 of us dress up like we're in, um, like we're in uh, a Mad Max movie and uh, hang out for a weekend. And my band will often play. So. I remember seeing all the pictures uh, from the sets and stuff of, from there, as well as the costumes, the vehicles, uh, and then that yeah. inspired... Uh, me to contact some of those folks and bring their vehicles to the descent uh, as oh, kind of real life representations of the uh, Hellfire uh, machines that would be down there. Yeah, they were perfect for that. I love it. Yeah, it was a nice way to be like, you know, they're not definitely one to one of what our concept art looked like by any means, but it, it got the idea across. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Are you finding any ways, given, you know, this, the pandemic and all the other things happening in this year to, you know, find new ways to channel your creativity or stay connected with people or, you know, kind of utilize the whole virtual presence to your advantage because, you know, most yeah, people as can much get as online. I can. Yeah. As much as I can. Um, uh, I'm really fortunate in the fact that um, I was helping develop a video game um, for the last two years that got greenlit in January and oh, it's nice. a giant project and I'm writing a ton of music for it. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much all I'm allowed to say, but it's keeping me busy until next up into next year. So I'm like, ah, oh, thank God this is, I've got this because right. you know, so many other things are happening, but I have a weekly game um, 
a, a, a weekly D and D game that's not streaming, you know, just with friends that I play. Um, I jump on a lot of different streams a lot. Um, I, what I started uh, through, through the years, I'd done a show on YouTube called Miller's music Mondays, where every Monday I would release a new song. <clears throat> oh now God. I'm doing that live on my Twitch channel. So, and I have guests, so I call it Miller's music Mondays live. And it's every Monday at seven Pacific and every, every episode I have a new guest. So I run it like a songwriter round and the way songwriter rounds go is you might go to see three songwriters and then some, you know, person number one plays a song, then person number two plays a song, then person number three plays a song, then it's back to number one. And that's the show. So that's how I do it. Um, when I have guests where we all take turns playing songs, going back and forth telling each other, um, you know, what we're up to, if we have new releases that are, that are happening. And it's really fun because the, the audience participates too and asks questions. And that's been, that has definitely helped my, uh, sort of craving to perform Mm. because, you know, I, I had two different European tours scheduled this year. I had a U.S. tour scheduled. I was on a bunch of great festivals that all get canceled or postponed. So as a performer, I want to perform. So luckily that's been really good and really fun. And every week more people uh, watch and it, and it, it's helpful for me and fulfills that, that little thing inside of me, that calling, you know, as performers, like we don't, I'm not, I'm, we, we don't do it for the money. We do it because we're, we're called to do it from some inner thing. I mean, I've been performing in front of audiences since I was five uh, because it's just something that always inspired me. So luckily being able to do it on Twitch has at least alleviated that. And, and to see the immediate response from the crowd, you don't see their faces, but at least you see what they're saying. And that's, yeah. that's really nice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I have and an it's actor. a nice thing. Sorry, Greg. What? I was just gonna say, I have an actor friend of mine who is, going through some of the similar things of like just not being able to to perform uh in front of groups um but he recently did i think it was like a company retreat so it was like a zoom call like this but he the way he described it was like well i got to make strangers laugh uh today so uh that little you know thing i needed uh in my psyche was satisfied at least for today and i was like oh yeah i mean there's something to that just performing for strangers is sometimes uh the only way you get it yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah. And there's like, there is like some advantage, like silver lining to like, you know, ev- most people being online now and used to doing you know things virtually. But like you're also providing a really nice outlet for the people who are on your show. Um, you know, you're, you know, cultivating that that community and, you know, giving people that connection that everybody really needs right now. Yeah. Didn't yeah. you just have Amy Vor- Vorpal on recently? Yeah, Amy Vorpal was my guest. Um, and like, um, I think this will air after, but like Hal Sparks is my guest next week. So, oh, sweet. Um, you know, and, and I've got a lot of really fun, fun guests coming up. And uh, yeah, so it's like some of my friends from the nerd community, like Laser from um, the Double Clicks was a guest uh, previously. Oh, and then other, other guests that I know from just from the music business that may or may not even know about Twitch. And then once they come on the show, they're like, oh my God, I can do this, you know? So it's it's a cool thing to um, bring people that are really familiar with the space 
and then ones that uh, are sort of being introduced to it. Very cool. All right, so uh, one, since you're, you're, you're musically talented, you're basically a real-life bard, uh, being able to bring <laughs> that type of songs and, and, and musicality uh, to many of the characters that you play. Um, for those of us like Shelley and, uh, and me who, who are not so musically inclined but love bards, at least I do, I love playing that type of performer, um, what kind of advice or what, what things that you, could you uh, tell players out there that, could, uh, that only a musician would know that might be able to, to spice it up uh, playing a bard or something like that? Well, the advice I would give someone who might not be musically inclined but who still wants to play a bard is um, just have fun with it. Like, you don't have to sing at the table if you don't want to. I mean, there are performance checks for that. I think that, like, it's fun to maybe, um, you know, write down a few lines uh, ahead of time on maybe something that might, that you think is going to happen in the game. But don't be afraid to just play the game and describe what your character is doing. You don't necessarily have to perform it for your friends. In fact, I, a, a lot of times performing for our friends is way more uh, intimidating than performing for strangers. So um, if, if you're worried about playing a bard simply because you're afraid to perform, throw that out the window and just describe to us what's happening. And, and I think that you'll be a lot more comfortable doing that. And, um, you know, maybe one day build up to, to writing a song or something, but it is not required whatsoever in the game. And couldn't you just play like, an unconventional bard. Maybe you're a bard who does cover tunes, or maybe you just do spoken word, or you just, you know, like, you can. Right, just, or you're a stand up comedian bard. Yeah. <laughs> or you, like you read Shakespeare. Like it doesn't, like you can, mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of freedom. Yeah. With right. that, that particular character. Right. But um, that, that little piece of, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say, that I didn't even think about it, but that little piece of advice, like you can just describe it. Uh, I actually did that about a year ago when I was in a, uh, a Vernus campaign and I wanted to play a bard who was like a, you know, David Bowie, David Lee Roth kind of mashup, uh, glam rock. That's uh, a pretty cool mashup. Yeah. <laughs> he was, you know, the tights and everything and he had dueling. Um, did uh, he do the kick? Yeah, David he did, totally did the kick. <laughs> uh, as well as the, like the androgynous kind of look, uh, you know, lots of, um, fire and, and orange and red kind of themes in his costume. Um, but I, I rolled a really high performance check kind of on the last night that they were in Baldur's Gate before they got sucked down into hell. Uh, but I just described it. I, couldn't, I didn't know any other like things, so I just kind of, I did like maybe one line. I think I did a line from Devil Inside uh, by NXS just to <laughs> nice. get it in the mood. Um, yeah. But then, you know, I just was just, it was, it was basically like describing what a rock concert was like uh, in, a, in, a, in a D&D setting. And the, you know, the DM kind of picked it up and Describe what was happening, what was going on, and all of the players at the table are all kind of like, yeah, we're rocking, you know, right now. And there was very little actual performance by me, but first we all got that image and feeling in our, in our, in our hearts and minds we were playing, and it worked wonderfully. Great. Um, yeah. Speaking of bards, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the other thing that I do every week right now is for the game Idle Champions, which nice. is a D&D licensor i actually uh, do a weekly show for them on on the cne games channel called bardic inspiration and what we do uh live and this is another great thing for me because it 
really the show's super interactive. That's what the show's about. Um, with my co-host Dylan, we write a song every week on the air. So you are watching us write a song and you're helping us write the song. And every week the song is about a different iconic Dungeons and Dragons personality. So like the first episode was Brunor Battlehammer. Uh, we've written one on Strahd von Zarevich. Uh, we did um, that the, um, the Space Hamster Blues for <laughs> Minskin Boo and Jim Zub joined us. Nice. Joined oh, us oh, and helped us that. write the song. So uh, that's, we do that at one o'clock on Tuesdays from one to three. And believe it or not, we get a whole song done in two hours. There's only been maybe two episodes so far where uh, we didn't finish one. And then, and then Dylan and I finished it later, but yeah, I mean, it's nuts. Uh, And then we might be like, Oh, you know, we need some help with the lore and the fans will write in, you know, we'll write a line or somebody will write a whole line of it. That's a great line for the chorus. And so we're writing a song in real time with the audience and it's, it's super fun. And it's D and D related. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need a song about Tasha. It's and coming. the cauldron of Acrimilly. I mean, why not? Yeah. I love like, seeing I, those type of shows where creativity happens, right? Because, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not a huge reality television aficionado, as longtime listeners might know. Uh, but the ones that I do like are like the cooking shows or, or something like that, where you get to see the process of making... Uh, a piece of art or uh, uh, something like that. And that's what you got, you and Dylan are doing. And that's fantastic. Yeah, we are, because, we're cooking up a song. Yeah. You are. <laughs> in real time and taking input from the audience. Um, mm. That's something I've always been fascinated about is like, how do you put a song together? You know, like, so, I mean, I remember reading about like Led Zeppelin, how like the, the band would just write the song and then Robert Plant would come in and just do the vocals and writing of the, the poems uh, or lyrics on his own. And like, so I love everybody's process is different and it's cool that we get to see you and Dylan work it, work it out in real time. Yeah. Um, you know, um, right. Everyone's process is different. Like the band rush that I'm a huge fan of the drummer would write all the lyrics. Mm. Neil Peart. You know? mm-hmm. RIP. Mm-hmm. So, mm. you know, it's interesting to see everyone's process. Um, when I, when I write with um, other artists or for other artists with other songwriters, you know, um, it's interesting. It's like where people sort of honed their craft is how they often um, will write. So in Nashville, when I write with writers from Nashville, they'll almost always have the title or the chorus first, and then we'll write around that. Like, I've got this great title. I want to write a song with this title. Like, okay, cool. That's our goal. And then we start from there. With others, a lot of guys that started in rock um, like me, we'll let the music dictate, we'll, we'll come up with a riff or something, and then they'll let that music dictate our mood of what the song should be about. So I often let the chords oh. speak to me on what I think it should be about. But I do it both ways. Because then sometimes I'll be like, oh yeah, that's a great name for a song. In fact, the song that I did for True Blood was a song called You Get What You Pay For. And I was sitting around with two other songwriters And one of them was talking about, I I had written down uh, lawyers make good liars, right? (laughs) Which didn't even end up in the song, right? We were talking about how like lawyers are sometimes professional liars. So lawyers make good liars. And then 
uh, one of the other songwriters said, yeah, my, I had my cousin represent me. He's a lawyer and it kind of wasn't very good. And then uh, somebody said, well, you get what you pay for. And then we go, oh, that's the name of the song. So then, so then we wrote, you get what you pay for. So it's, it's always interesting how uh, those things can happen. What you're describing sounds very similar to how different D&D groups, uh, you know, come up with ideas and make it a cooperative storytelling. And it's something that I've always combined in my head was like how performance and, and music performance in particular is very similar to the effect that can happen around a table when everybody's firing and all their imaginations are, are melding together. You know, I always think of it as a cloud above the, the mm-hmm. gaming table. I don't know why. But I feel like that happens similarly to in music venues when there's like this back and forth between the audience and the performers. Everybody's having this shared experience. You can't separate them and it can only happen, you know, in that specific moment of, of the live performance or the live D&D game. Um, and what you're describing about coming up with this, this stuff, I mean, that's, it feels very much like, oh yeah, like this idea came from the wizard who wanted to do this, but then I gave my spin on this and then it ended up being what happened when we killed that dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So, you know, we're, we're like digging down deep to the, the, the core of the creative process. It's pretty and what cool. makes us human. Mm-hmm. Or tiefling warlocks. Or tiefling. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback, people. Yep. Uh, excellent. Well, I love that you have this creative outlet, uh, you know, through the streaming shows that you've embraced, and you have this this background of, you know, in some ways, all of the things that you've been doing has led up to, you know, being you being able to do all these these streaming shows and performance and stuff like that. So it's really cool uh, to, you know, during these times, be able to have something like that out there. And you're keeping us all entertained and inspired. So thank you Great. for that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this one thing, though, that I've yeah, got to mention. Yeah. I don't okay. know if you were warned about this, Greg, or not. I think we may have But been. it has to do with lizard folk. Yes, yes. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go back to young eight, nine-year-old me and the... The, one of the first minis I ever painted um, was that classic Ralpartha uh, lizard man holding the shield and the and the and the spear. Everybody had that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always lizard folk always had a, a special place for me in my heart. So fast forward to where we are today, and you can actually play as a as a lizard as a, as a lizard man or woman, uh, and as lizard folk and. Basically, uh, I I want to throw the gauntlet down, and I want to know why lizard folk don't have their own language. Because in D anD D five e, lizard folk and lizard folk speak draconic, and my argument is that they should have their own language. Because yes, dragons are lizards, but lizards are not dragons. So. If you want to throw me out of D&D forever for that, you know, <laughs> that's the hill I'm going to die on, but I, I will stick to that for the rest of my life. Okay. So you want you want us to bring that back to Jeremy Crawford? Absolutely. Okay. We will. Yeah. And I think Jeremy is going to say, if you want lizard folk to have their own language in your world, make it up. They can do that. You can do anything in Dungeons and Dragons. 
I'm not going to accept that answer. I want <laughs> I want an official rule change. <laughs> <laughs> right. what, what language would they speak? Would they be speak the lizard folk language? Yeah, they would speak the lizard folk language. I feel right. that lizard folk and and uh, dragonborn or lizard folk and dragons should be speaking different languages. That's just that's just me. thinking about the background of each of each of them. It makes sense to me, uh, and you know who knows? It could have just been a choice of like, hey, we want to make sure there's a certain number of languages out there and not inundate uh, so that every you know, monstrous race in the monster manual has a different language that you have to learn. Yeah, but, and I get that. I get that. But I at least still want the official answer. As to okay. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to the bottom of this. We will, get, right. we will do that for but you. But I do agree that Jeremy would probably just say, follow your bliss, man. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming by, uh, Jason. It's been a long time coming, and you've done lots of wonderful stuff for Dungeons and & Dragons, and you will continue to do it going forward. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for having me. This is super fun, and uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, playing D&D for many years to come and hopefully uh, doing things with you guys for many years to come. Yes, I'll for sure. So. In um, person, what, even. Oh, yeah. That, it's going to happen <laughs> soon. I know it. No, three years from now. <laughs> uh, don't say three four uh, Stop it. lower 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 Stop it. Uh, what's the best way for people to keep track of everything that you're doing and, and you know perhaps follow along and watch some of your streaming shows I mean luckily if you know my name that's pretty much how you can find me everywhere I mean obviously you can go to jasoncharlesmiller.com and find all the links to uh, the social media sites that you like to follow me on and of course if you want to see me live uh, every Monday at seven on my Twitch channel, which is uh, Jason Charles Miller. I'm a big fan of using your own name for uh, for all of your social handles. So you are you are doing Godhead's work. <laughs> Thank you. It's only on it's only on Twitter that I had to uh, shorten it. So on Twitter, it's Jason C Miller because my name's too long for Twitter. Mm. But if you search for me on Twitter, if you searched Jason Charles Miller on Twitter, you'd find me that way too. So perfect. All right. Awesome. We'll do that. Well, you're the best, Jason. Thank you so much. You and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yay. I feel like I want to learn an, an instrument. Yeah. You should pick one up. Mm-hmm. I what? do think that my fifth grade music teacher would disagree with that statement, but you know, maybe things change. You know what's funny is I was talking to my brother recently and I forget how we got on this topic, but it was about like uh, just keeping a beat. And he was saying like, it's really hard for me. He was, I, I, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can get like 10, you know, kind of things. And then I, I start changing it up and doing like a different syncopation. I was like, you know what? I do that too. Where like, I can't just stay a consistent beat. I feel like I have to go off of it. And I remember being in like a drum circle when I was in college, like you do. What, did you, was that in between your hacky sack games? It was right in between my hacky sacking <laughs> and watching the X Files, uh, possibly while it'd be inebriated. Um, but uh, but my friend who was a drummer uh, was like, "Dude, why are you why are you changing up the beat? Like we haven't even like started." And I was like, "Oh, I didn't really know I was doing that. Like it's just a it's a I, I think a genetic thing. Like I, I just I don't have a good metronome internally." You know what I would say is that you like to march to the beat of your own drummer. And that is not a bad thing. My mom is, always said that about me, and she made it sound like a compliment. So I think it's a good thing. I think that's also why you and I will never be uh, in a band together. 
Uh, definitely not as drummers. Or even as singers. Or even, in a, or even in a band. <laughs> I mean, I like music. I, li- I, I would listen too. to it and I'm a big fan of it. But it is, maybe that's because I, I don't have that innate uh, musical quality. I, I think that we have a greater appreciation for people who do because we don't have that. So. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah, and that's why I belong we have an, behind the scenes. An appreciation for Jason Charles Miller and all he does and brings to the table, as well as any bard out there. I know. You do good stuff. And I can't wait for him to get back into game stores because I thought that was such a cool series. It's Me too. Getting to peek inside all these different stores and seeing all the different communities that, that gather there. I love it. So, I love it too. Let's open it up. Come on. And if you uh, want to check that out, go to the Dungeons & Dragons YouTube channel. Uh, that is where On Tour with Dragons resides, and we will certainly try to surface it so you can see it a little bit easier once this episode gets out there. Also, uh, there's lots of great stuff in there, including videos of Dragon Talk, in case you are only listening to no. this via the RSS feed or an audio form only, that you can see our faces as we record interviews as well as segments, and it is uh, a great way to kind of have um, Dragon Talk happening in the background as well as catch up on older episodes. Yes, and speaking of in the background, sometimes you can have my dog in the background woof, make, making woof, a woof. nest on um, all the pillows and blankets that he drags in here. That's very cute. It really is. Yeah. Um, and I've been speaking, uh, you know, because I've been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3, as many people have, of resurfacing some wonderful lore segments around Baldur's Gate, as well as uh, the Gith and the Gith Yankee and Mind Flayers. There's a lot of great stuff there that we can uh, reacquaint you with in Dungeons and Dragons lore. So you'll have some basis for when you're playing that game. Very good idea. I like it. We'll do it. All yeah. right. Shelly, if you would like to find out everything about D&D, where would you go? I mean, I guess I would love to have an app like Dragon Mag uh, that I could just have on my phone. Dragon Plus? Yes, that is the correct answer. You get yes. 10,000 experience points. But if I didn't have my phone, I could go to dragonmag.com on, uh, on the internet. That's true. And there I could find is. all the information, all of the news, breaking news, feature stories, really cool previews of things to come. A it's really good. great uh, short fiction written oh. by really cool people. Oh, my God. You know how hard it is to get fiction in Dragon Plus? How hard I, is it's, it? Like, <laughs> it's like basically getting something published in modern love in the New York Times. Like oh. they probably got like a thousand submissions a week and they can really, you know, only publish like six. I have pitched so many things to modern love. Have you? No, I haven't. No. I'm like, I'm actually working on something right now to pitch to them. <laughs> like, I'm developing that's a why pitch right now. That's why it's in my mind. Yes. <laughs> um, Greg, do you know someone who's writing? I, I wrote a story. It's it should be on the uh, October issue. Uh, so look for that on Dragon Plus, and uh, we'll we'll give you more insight into that uh, in in coming episodes for sure. Yay! I'm very Yay. proud of you. Maybe we'll Aww. interview you on Dragon Talk. It's been a long time since I've been interviewed. That'd be fun. Oh, we should go back to that interview. I know we were such babies. We were. We were all grown up. We didn't now. even have headphones. We were just like <laughs> three nerds and a microphone. 
Two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> Three nerds and a microphone. So much fun. Uh, you should go to DungeonsAndDragons.com if you want to find out or send people uh, there in order to learn more about D&D and how to get started. There's lots of great opportunities and resources there. And if you want to follow along on social, it's uh, Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter. Also on Instagram, there's a Facebook page you can like to get all of the updates there as well. Uh, but Shelly, if people wanted to talk to you directly and possibly give you more followers for our uh, our book proposal, how could they possibly do that? Well, you could go to Twitter or Instagram and find Shelly Moo. Shelly That's Moo. That's me. That's you. I'm Shelly Moo. I am Greg T2. No, it's just Greg Tito. Tito. <laughs> Tito. Now I need to change it. Uh, for uh, Twitter and Instagram, it is Greg underscore Tito. And I can't wait to hear from you. It'll be super fun. Lots of uh, postings on both of those things uh, recently about what games I've been playing as well as my children's. Uh, so take a look. It's in a book. And of course... I want to give a shout out to Lisa Carr from Cyrus Sound for helping us out producing these episodes, as well as Ryan Marth. He's been here for years. Don't call to come back, uh, making all the amazing, fun stuff happen. I think he's got more tattoos than Jason Charles Miller does. Do you think that's true? Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. We'll have to have a tattoo off one day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> back if we could be in person and shed our clothes. <laughs> <laughs> that's not inappropriate at all. It's really not. No, nope. because it gets you know the rock and roll guys. They're used to doing those things. Yeah, tattoo yeah. off. You know, eating. This bats. is also another reason why we will never be in bands. Because <laughs> we don't have enough tattoos. That's I don't very true. Any, but how many do we have between us? Zero. Zero. Hmm. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta work on that. That's true. How we we're never gonna be rock stars. That's. I don't know if I'm ready that. to quite give up on that yet, but I mean it's. It's a little bit unlikely. You should start pitching uh, to work at Sub Pop again. That's, that's the only way to make it happen. Just cold call him again. <laughs> like, like, hey, that's how it happened the first time. Do you remember me? <laughs> I was a great intern for a day. I showed up in your office and said, I want to work here. Nice. And then they, you were like, okay. <laughs> come, come organize these CDs. That's how, uh, you know, Drunky Two-Shoes rolls, right? She just shows right she back just, up. She just does things. Keep she it does. going. Yep. So let's, uh, let's actually check in with what's happening with Drunky Two-Shoes, shall we? Yeah, I'm ready. I, dra- I jumped in the water. You jumped in the water. And nobody yes. would come save me. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you're in the water now. You're floundering about. What are you planning on doing? Cats don't like water, I'm, I'm told. How far from this boat am I? Can I swim to it? Yes, I mean the boat that you were in is right next to you as well. The small oh. boat. Do you want to get to the big boat? Yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, you can that'll roll me an athletics count. check and see if you can uh, maneuver yourself. <gasps> this you isn't fantasy. This is real life. Oh, you got a one. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I'm gonna drown. Drunky two shoes is okay. Well, hopefully, because I'm not acting, that like they now will feel some pity for the cat that's drowning right in front of them. You indeed do hear a big splash <gasps> above you as you're trying to find out which way is up or down. Uh, and a strong hand grasps you by the back of the neck. Oh, mommy? Mommy and kitten? And pulls you up. 
you break free from the water, sputtering, oh. coughing, uh, and then suddenly you are face to face with a sailor uh, who is quite strong uh, to be able to lift you in the water the way that they did. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden, as you kind of recover, you're now face to face with this uh, sailor who is holding you and trying to uh, bring you back up on top of his boat. Uh, he looks at you and he, he kind of tossles his wet hair back and uh, winks at you. Are you kidding? No. Will you, <laughs> will you accept this, Rose? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm blushing. Drunky blushes a little. We'll see. You saved my life. What happens uh, when uh, we return for next week's episode? Wow. I don't know if I can wait that long. Cliffhanger. Wow. Meow. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. We'll see you guys then. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> I wish it was happening right meow. <laughs> it's a meowical. It's a meowical. <laughs> oh, please just cut us off, Ryan. We're never going <laughs> to end. It's never going to end.